0: Log Talk Radio. Do you believe that death is the end? Or is it just a new, beginning? a new beginning? Does our soul continue to evolve? Or is it buried six feet under? Spiritual encounters and unexplained phenomena have intrigued people for centuries. But what if you could find the answer? Right here. Right here. Right now. Right now. Welcome to Heavenly Encounters. Heavenly Encounters. Where we will talk with everyday people who have had extraordinary experiences and gifted souls that see beyond the, veils. Beyond the veil. Together, we'll diminish our fear of death, explore our soul's evolution. And soften the crippling grief that accompanies loss. Heavenly Encounters. You, our listeners, will discover a new world. A new world. A fresh reality. A fresh reality. Just a whisper away. Heavenly Encounters. So take a deep breath and join us on this fascinating adventure. This is Heavenly Encounters. Heavenly Encounters. A journey to the other side. Heavenly
1: Welcome to Heavenly Encounters, A Journey to the Other Side. I am your host, Mary Elizabeth, broadcasting from Chicago, Illinois.
2: And this is Janice, broadcasting live from St. Louis, Missouri.
1: Well, today's guest was clinically dead after suffering a massive heart attack. His near-death experience brought him to the gates of heaven and taught him how to live a loving, peaceful, and meaningful life. We'll talk about his incredible journey and the wisdom and life lessons that he was taught from the beings of three, as he called them. But first, don't forget to check out my blog as well as access all of our past shows at heavenlyencountersradio.com. Now, Janice. Yes. You know, it seems like all of a sudden near-death experiences are really kind of a hot topic. I mean, there's
2: books, there's movies. Why do you think the sudden interest? Well, I think it's probably happening a lot more as we're going through this kind of an ascension process where everybody mm-hmm. is becoming much more aware. And then, you know, the stigma that was once there of, you know, you know, being laughed at or being ridiculed or something right. like that, it's not there as much anymore. And there's great support groups now so that right. you have, you know, you don't feel like you're just all alone by yourself.
1: Right. And I don't think it's such, it's like, no people just started experiencing these i think they have for probably hundreds if not thousands of years and like you said oh. they're just now a little bit more comfortable about talking about them
2: exactly and then so many people in the scientific community now are talking about this also so it's not just right. you know, somebody right. you know in sitting in the desert somewhere absolutely
1: Well, I'm really excited because we have four planets directly aligned together, and they're all in retrograde, so I'm really happy that we're able to get our guest on the show tonight. (laughs) Because we did have a few audio problems to begin with, but our guest tonight is Alan Stevenson, who chronicled his near-death experience in his book, I Had to Die to Learn How to Live. Alan, welcome to the show.
2: Welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mary and Janice.
1: And you're still here. Wonderful. <laughs>
3: yes, yes. Well,
1: let's start from the beginning. Tell us about the events that led up to your death.
3: Um, well, I mean, if I back up far enough, I have to consider the short period of time that, that actually led up to that, that point. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, the whole idea was what happened and why did it happen? Right. Um And there's, you know, that the components to that equation are, are quite extensive. But just to touch on a few, I mean, I had the year just before had gone my own way from my, my now ex-wife and my one of my best friends now. Um, you know, and that has a lot to do with <laughs> having learned what I did because we get along so much better than we did the 20 years that we were together. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, there, there was many things... That, you get into the mental aspects of stuff and having moved out of my own and then having to find another place. And uh, I was living with my brother at the time, and, and that situation was not the not the best. Um, a younger brother, but a much more dominant type personality. So that created a lot of stress within myself. You know, so it's the uneasiness, and, and each one of us walks through life day in and day out, and we feel that uneasiness, but we don't talk about mm-hmm. it, because we can't really put our finger on exactly what that is. You know, I, I know that I feel out of sync, I know that I feel off, I feel this, and and I'll get more into the explanation of feeling but later. Um, exactly that routine, happy-go-lucky, everything falling our right. way, you know, it's really going the opposite way. And I got to a point where I kind of, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be anymore. And I just I didn't know whether it was coming or going. I didn't see much of a, a light at, no pun intended, but not, not a light at the right. end of the tunnel in my daily, in my day-to-day <laughs> life. You know? right. And um, so, I mean, when it happened, there was lots of, lots of reasons for it. Um, and, of course... You start putting on a lot of mental aspect into it, and you're trying to figure things out, trying to think your way out of it, and, and, it, and it's a right. it's a game you can't think your way out of because it's a biological as well as a a soulful aspect. You know, mm-hmm. thinking is is right. a a byproduct of of the soul itself, right? Right. Um, so leading up to that, I mean, I was in a in a job as an assistant baker. And uh, it was a tough job. I had a, a very low wage, you know, and I was working hard to try and get up to a, a better wage, and that was the whole point of it, but it was never really going to happen. So I didn't I didn't see a growth within my life, and then that's kind mm-hmm. of where I had shut things off. So I mean, when, and regularly, right, right then, and after I had done that, and it was more of an unconscious thing, you know, where I got to a point where it just didn't matter anymore, and life just didn't matter right. as much anymore. So, yeah, so you
1: were pretty much stuck. You were at the end of your rope. You didn't see a light at yeah. the end of the tunnel. So the universe just said, you know what, let's show you a light at the tunnel. <laughs> well, well
3: I, and, and that's part of it, uh, the end of the rope. And I think this is, you know, one wouldn't think you guys touched on earlier was the fact that there's so many people today Um jessa mentioned the ascension thing was it has more to do with the fact that there is a point at a soulful level and from that dimensional aspect of desperation in the sense of balancing mm-hmm. things back out because things are in if you take a look at life in physical reality from news and this and that things are out of balance currently and this is what the right. big thing is going on from the And I I want to say the other side, but I I don't want to say the other side because it's more from within all the physical Mm -hmm. reality more than than the other side because that's saying the other side is placing that somewhere and it's not really there. It's all around us. It's all all about us and all within us. Right. Um, So you
0: woke
1: up that morning to like one of the worst snowstorms ever. Well, I I didn't
3: really... I didn't really know that a snowstorm was, was going on because I, I was downstairs in a basement area. And so I didn't really know a snowstorm was going on. But the pain had been bothering me for like three days. And, of course, I didn't know what it was. And we get into that phase of, you know, I just got to keep going. and I'll get better. I'll get over it because we always do when right. we're younger. Right? And I knew that I had to go to work. I'd been off work for like six days. And I knew that I had to get up and get going. And I was walking across town. So when I did get upstairs to have breakfast and a cup of tea and stuff like that I noticed that the weather was quite gruesome outside it was very bad very very bad and I uh, this was the Niagara area so this is not too far from Buffalo where right. the blizzard of 27 took place and I was a, a a young adolescent when that that blizzard had hit for three straight days you know and piled up 20 30 and 40 foot drifts of snow uh, all over the place, so I remember that. But this snow coming down, the wind blowing, was like that, but it just didn't last as long. Uh, it lasted well throughout that day, but of course, I wouldn't—I didn't really participate too much in it. Right. <laughs> because by nine twenty-five in the morning, I was gone. Um, but anyway, I had got out, and I had to take the—I di- had to make a fair distance to get to a bus stop to be able to catch a bus that would would connect over to where I worked, and uh, that was hard. I mean. I tried to do my best in in that first chapter, the day I stood at heaven's door, um, which people can actually read online if they if they would like to. Uh, it's on my website at um uh, under Alan's story. But anyway, um, I tried to chronicle the moments, the, the thoughts, the feelings, the different aspects to try and really chronicle what was going on, you know. And it's and it's still vivid, very, very vivid today, um, but when I got up to the bus stop and I finally made it there, not really while I was getting there, not really thinking that I was going to, but trying to think of, okay, well then, if I don't make it, what's actually going to happen? And we have no frame of reference for that, none, and nobody Mm -hmm. does, um, so when I made it there and the pain subsided and everything, I thought, okay, finally, you know, I just, I've been sitting and doing a little too much of nothing for the last six days. I just need to get out and do a little bit of exercise. is more than I really wanted. And I really and honestly believed that I was going to be okay and until I got up on the bus and I just, I went to drop the coins in the thing and she, the bus driver had lurched off into the snow trying to get the bus going because the snow was piling up quick and she wanted to keep it moving. Um... And just that lurch, and I move sideways, and that's when it really it really hit. Mm-hmm. The heart attack had really had been minorly going in the background and then kicked into high gear where I was on a, a very slippery short slope uh, heading downward because it didn't last very long at all from that point. And right. I had slumped into one of the seats that faces back into the aisle just behind the bus driver Um, like a seed or so, and uh, it really began all in earnest there, and of course your, the emotional aspect, and I talk about it in the book, because emotion is actually a a part of the soul itself, it's not a biological thing, Uh, feelings are an after effect or a side effect, biological feelings are an after effect of what the soul emotionalizes Mm -hmm. at its core, and so, you know, you talk to people and you go, somebody will say, well, I'm feeling really sad today or I'm feeling really mad or, or I'm really feeling jealous today. And that's a biological response from a soulful uh, emotionalization stage. Right.
2: Now, could you um, feel yourself leaving your body?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when it came down to it. But the funny thing was is that when people go through panic attacks, And and my oldest daughter suffers from panic attacks, so I've seen them. And I've I've actually had them myself. And that anxiety, that fear, that gripping, almost inexplicable fear, is gone. Like it's just not there. And that peacefulness really starts and settles in. Uh, the medical community will say that that's a chemical dumping by your by your biology to you know throw you down and everything, but that's a soulful thing because it it comes. That's where you first start to become aware of quote the other side, um, mm-hmm. and the point from which your soul has actually come from, originated in, and come from, and then returns to.
0: <clears throat> so there's um,
3: that calm peacefulness that starts settling in and the next thing you know, you know, the pain, totally, totally gone. But you're still the consciousness. That consciousness that we take for granted every single day with every little thing that we do throughout our moments of each day, um, it's still there. It's still present. You, you actually know the point at which you have succumbed to your biology, biological dysfunction.
0: Hmm.
3: But, your consciousness still exists now. There's a certain point there, I felt a little bit of a slide, so my consciousness was still kind of there at that point where biology is, but slowly moving from within it. Then the next point was that I was outside looking back. So my consciousness actually jumped from one point to another, and this is one of the other things I talk about frequently, is the fact that consciousness resides, for the most part, exterior to our biology. We see it from within biology because that's where consciousness registers in the physical group.
1: Right. Well, you know, one of the first things that you said that you saw was this big, massive six foot tiger that actually jumped up and up the stairs and onto the bus. Well,
3: he, what he was, was a tiger? He was, he was massive. Now tiger, tiger I had seen twice before in my life in my late twenties and in my mid to late thirties, uh, two other rough times in my life. And, he showed up. And I mean, here's, you know, when you're sitting and this was a point where I was in that slight phasing. I was in that slight phasing point. And, you know, when I seen Tiger walk out of, out of a snowstorm, I'm like, okay, let's, but I did recognize him from those two other periods, you know, and I had thought about him at different times, but he, he had never come. Tiger basically is what is classified as the guardian of souls. Okay. And it's not a, a written classification. It's just an understood classification. That would be the best way to describe them, so to speak. Okay. And I wouldn't even put money on the fact that it's a him. <laughs> I really honestly <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> um, That's true.
1: So, So what did the tiger say to you?
3: Well, he just walked up to me without a word. And my... My consciousness was was saying, like, you know, it's weird, like, why are you here, you know? And he had not answered me immediately, and had walked right up and had rubbed his head up against mine. My ethereal body, if you wanted to say so, um, rubbed in and backed up and then looked at me, and I said, like, you're, you're about to die, and I'm thinking, yeah, well, yeah, like, no, no kidding, no kidding. <laughs> but it's okay, Is it, you know, it's okay, because the peacefulness had really, really settled in, And it it really intensified once Tiger showed up. I mean, really drastically Mm -hmm. intensified um, to the point where I was basically had... Consciousness had really gone back to that that atomic level, um, dimensional level. Mm -hmm. And though I was still able to peer into physical reality, but there's that milky glass effect peering back. you know, like a steam like steam shower type glass. You right. know, gets all right. mucked up and stuff like that. So, you know, that's kind of what, it's, what you're looking through back into physical reality. Um, but you sense and you know what's going on in physical reality because the people that were still on the bus, I was sensing and feeling everything that they were. And even to this day, I still do from time to time. And I'm not talking about those people, but other people around me on a regular right. basis. But anyway, Tiger, they did the you know, after I was about to die, I'm thinking, yeah, and then he had looked to the windows across from me, and, and a whole bunch of like holographic-type images on the windows of the bus had started to um, just roll from my past, from my present, from my future, almost like a slot machine-type thing, and then they had stopped on two hmm. pictures of uh, each of my daughters, my youngest daughter my my oldest daughter that lives with me here now. And um it was there that I really, you know, I really started to think what was going on and why was I being shown this. And that's when Tiger looked back at me. He had turned from looking at the images himself. And I, I don't know whether he was the conduit for those. I would, I would think that he was. But he had looked back at me once they had stopped on those two pictures. And he had said, if you choose, you know. Mm -hmm. And I I was confused. I was really, on a conscious level, was really confused to send us going, like, what, a choice? Like, what do you mean, you know? Like, you have a choice to stay here with me or to return back, you know? Right. And I said, well, I want to stay. And of course, I, I thought I made a huge mistake and I wasn't being clear as we typically are in life, because we say things and we just take for granted that other people understand us. And I realized just by saying what I said that maybe he was going to take it for that I wanted to stay there on the other side. And I'm like, no, 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 I want to live. I want to live. Right. I want to live. You want to go I want to go back. Yep, I want to go back. Lots of stuff I haven't done yet. And and that's right. when he said, okay, good. That's your choice. Then you have a task now. You not have a task. And Without saying another word, he just turned. And a six-foot-tall man or person standing on a bus, on a city bus, their heads almost hit the thing. So, I mean, he was right up towards the top of the roof, you know. And <laughs> he had just kind of, I don't know how he managed to turn, but, of course, when you, you stop and think about it, that it's not physical anymore, and then it becomes very possible. Right. So he just turned and he, he exited the bus, and it's almost like he didn't totally go out the door. And But I knew to follow. I just instinctively knew to follow, so my thought was to get up and go, but it's not a case of where we physically get up and and walk somewhere and and go. I just, boom, and I was gone. And next thing I know, consciousness had leaked into this misty, luminous area, and Tiger had proceeded just ahead of me, but was still trailing or, or moving from me. So I was viewing mm-hmm. him from, from behind, and he, then he had turned and had been on a bit of an angle looking back towards me. And it was right about that time when the Beings of Three came in, very, very far out on my left hand side. And it was more Right, so it was kind of like a near peripheral vision. In. Well, that would be the best way to physically explain it, yes, but it's mm-hmm. not. Um,
1: That's not physical. <laughs>
3: No, it's just the consciousness aspect. And right. in, in the book, I really try and touch on what is consciousness, how it functions, and where it comes from, and, and how it works. The next book is going to get much more in-depth with with right. aspects of that. But they were there, and then, of course, it's like a knee-jerk reaction that you understand that something has just moved out on, on the exterior of your vision, so you look to see. And, of course, just for a... Millisecond, I had kind of seen them in one aspect, and then all of a sudden they faded and disappeared. I looked back to Tiger, and then they reappeared again. So I looked back over slowly, and they disappeared again. I looked back, and I'm, I'm getting emotionally that E dash uh, emotional emotion effect right. uh, within my soul. And he's like, "Don't worry about it. It's okay. It doesn't matter." So I was trying to think. I was trying to think. I was trying to think, and I, I don't know whether it was something that Tiger had done, but he had it had really pacified me in the sense that I, I reattuned more with that peacefulness again, and not to worry about right. it, not to let it bother me, not to have it consume my energy for no reason at all, because it really, right. in the end, did not matter. Okay. I was still connected to them, and I had to learn to connect to those three beings.
1: Now, were they teachers of yours?
3: Pardon me. Yeah, uh, teachers, teachers to Everybody right. really. Teachers to everybody really. Um, I would, you know, I'd be remiss to say that I was the, the only one because there's many. There's many many. What they classified me as, as as a seed planter by making the choice to come back and having given the task, then I become a seed planter, and those seeds are being planted now with the book and with my speaking and and other things that right. I'll be doing. You know, to try and plant those seeds and, and have as many as possible come up, which is, well,
1: you know, uh, you died at like 925, and then you were revived at about 935, so there was really just about 10 minutes in there uh, that you were yeah. clinically dead. How long did it actually feel like, though, that you were gone?
3: Well, I spent, you know, this is where <clears throat> time becomes a bit of a problem. I get a little bit of a tickle.
1: Right, through. there's no such thing.
3: <clears throat> right time doesn't necessarily exist the way that we really perceive it, it really and honestly doesn't and there's there's so many instances within physical reality that, that turns around and makes us all kind of scratch our head and go, hmm, that's odd, you know mm-hmm. and that's where the, the time factor really escapes things, but basically mm-hmm. what would have taken a day's worth of time to show me and to teach me and to go through different things you know, you go to an all day seminar from 8am till 6 or 7pm you know, and you're you're there all day long. So you've absorbed all of this information, you know, from a speaker or right. or whatever. And um, it was kind of like that. So it would have been like a day's worth of happenings, not necessarily time.
1: Right, in 10 minutes. So then when you were getting ready to return into your body, what I mean, what happened? What did it feel like?
3: Well, Tiger had brought me back. And, and I, even to this point, like Tiger did not come back on the bus with me. He did not. It was only to a different point, <clears throat> and then there again, my consciousness jumped. From. <clears throat> excuse, me, excuse me for a second.
1: Well, Janice, one thing I wanted to ask you, I know we don't. You know, we think of ourselves. We have this point out there that we are going to exit, but we also have a lot of different <coughs> alternative um, exit points too, don't
2: we? Yeah, we do. And a lot of times, two or three times in a lifetime. You know, you have the ability to do this, like Alan did. They give you the opportunity to choose, and a lot of time right. it's when a karma's over, and do you want to take on something else? And so, if a life becomes really unbearable, but two or three mm-hmm. times in our lifetime, we we will make a a choice whether or not to go home or to stay. Absolutely, that's yes, right. Exactly. And it may be at our higher
1: self level, not necessarily at our conscious level, saying, "Okay, I'm going to live or I'm going to die." Right. Exactly,
2: exactly. Okay. And it's something that basically they're asking your soul. Because if okay. you know, if you're coming back like with Alan and he's talking about planting seeds, now if he is a seed planter he has a whole new um a karma going on, of spiritual oh, you know, lessons that he's teaching and stuff like that. So yes. And so right. absolutely. Okay. Yeah.
1: So Alan, then um, when you return into your body, was it just a really kind of heavy, dense um kind of feeling? Oh
3: yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, consciousness jumped from, jumped from where I was, even in, back into my body, so to speak, because those mm-hmm. two points happened almost sim- simultaneously, <coughs> and wow. it was um, a realization and a and a, a a moment that I'll that I'm never going to forget. I mean, I'm never going to forget that.
1: Oh, I mean, I, I don't know how you can. <laughs> but even in, like, the the difference. after effects, yeah, the after effects of it. I mean, did you, you know, you said you kind of felt out of sync, you know, with your physical reality because all of a sudden you're going from this high, high frequency down to this really <clears> low, dense body. So what did, did it take you a while to kind of adapt back into that?
3: Well, it's kind of like putting on one of those sumo wrestler um, rubber suits, mm. you know?
1: Yeah, that's a good analogy.
3: <laughs> you, know, you, slug, you slug on an awful lot of weight and, and whatnot. Um, right. But the pain instantly was back, and it was like it had never left, and and un, un, just ungodly as far as um, consuming energy, consuming mm-hmm. mental consciousness, consuming emotionalization, consuming physical feeling, consuming everything of everything. And... You know, once you realize you're anchored back in in that after having that experience, you're like, oh my God, I just went from graduating university to back to kindergarten, you know, and I'm like, oh my God. Well,
2: did
1: you at any point kind of of think
2: that. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Janice. when, When you came back, Alan, did you feel like you had brought something back with you, an energy or a frequency or something?
3: I knew that while they. For me to come back, they actually had to reset my soul, the frequency of my soul. (coughs) Yes. They reset, that had to be reset because it could not be the same. And I, to this day, I do it on the way. There was a, I could not go back to the same frequency that it was at at a soul level. So, after that effect... I actually, on a biological level, ran harder. I still do today mhm um and when everybody else is cold around me, I'll be like brilliantly warm
0: right
1: so did those um, the people around you, your friends, your family, your daughters did they actually could they sense a change about you
3: oh yeah yeah they and and still even to this day they they notice uh, quite the difference in how I do things um. Mm-hmm. And it has more to do with that perception you know, perceptibility point having totally altered everything okay. around me, everything that I do, everything I think and emotionalize is from a totally different perspective. And that's, right. that's what I'm hopefully I'm going to be able to teach other, other people, you know, to mm-hmm. just to change and switch that up and really, um, with the title of the book, which I Had to Die to Learn How to Live, it was kind of a, a bit of a, so that you don't have to wait till your last moments to have an aha moment and go, wow, I could have had a V8 right. instead of
0: <laughs>
3: Um So people can actually be able to have all that that may entitle before those moments actually come. Because that's when right. we all should learn what is truly and honestly important. Unfortunately, but that's when it really matters. You know when.
1: Well, that's spouse, the thing I loved. i sorry. This I loved about your book is there were so many things you had in there where you really forced, you know, the readers to look at things differently. I mean, one of the big things is that you know we have this really backwards view of our life. You know, as humans, we yes. view our physical form and our life as the most primary importance of our existence. But that's actually really wrong, isn't it?
3: Well, it's it is so very very wrong, and the worst thing is, is that it takes a situation like that for it to really hit home, you know, like a like a very big mm-hmm. hammer, and and yet the people who live and exist and yet lose a child, lose a spouse, lose a mother, lose a father, a grandparent, a friend, they're the ones that are left in a a very deepened emotional state emotionalizational state of trying to figure out, trying to grasp a hold of it because it doesn't make sense. They were here yesterday, they were here hours ago, and now they're no longer here. And I cannot connect the dots on this because none of it makes a bloody bit of sense. And these unfortunate souls get so stuck in the literal quicksand of life that they cannot pull their feet out of it and they slowly sink. Yeah. And sink and right. sink and sink. And those are the people that I really desperately want to try and get to to help them to understand. And I know that other books that they've read, and, and there's some, there's other people out there that are doing the same. I mean, you look at what Teresa Caputo has done. I, I don't know how many times I sat here on, on uh, Chesterfield watching some of her shows over the time while I was writing the book. And, you know, at time, different times thinking, you know, should I really do this? I'm, I'm just a regular run-in-the-mill joke blue guy, you know, and and here you know, I'm trying to write this book.
1: And but you know what? I think that gives one, you I almost haven't... more credibility because you're not someone that is, you know, you weren't as connected to the other side. This you're 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 just like myself, not like Janice, but <laughs> no one's like Janice. But um in a very good sense. But it gives you more credibility almost because this is all kind of a new experience for you and you're looking at it with fresh eyes. And that's the way you kind of relate it into your book in a way that, you know, anybody can actually understand where for me, it's, you know, I've always understood this at an intellectual level, but your book made so much sense and how it really, really, truly does work. Like, you know, having your soul take that driver's seat, you know, we're not our physical person, we're our soul. So you've got to lead your life by your soul. The question is, I mean, how do you do that?
3: Well, and that's, you. you know, <laughs> and and once I, once the, um, that guy talking, uh, speaking gigs that I'll be doing and stuff like that kick into much higher gear and, and I get more, um, more of them and stuff like that, um, I could have really touch on that more through that because what I want to do is I've, I'm perfect for analogies in the sense that I can take things and situations from life and try and use them. Though they're physical, to show the non-physical things, and people really go, "Oh, oh, oh now I get it! Now I get it! Now I get it!" Mm-hmm. So that's and that's I been to a do. bit of a gift for me to be able to do that. Um, just for instance, I mean, you know, if you take the book or a book, period, and you pinch it close, and and the book itself would represent all of physical reality, but then mm-hmm. if you fan that book like a deck of cards type thing, and and not spread it out in a fan, but just you know, run through the pages really quick with your thumb, you see the layers of physical reality. Hmm. That not are exterior or above or beside or below, but within. They're within the whole book. And that's what the whole book is made of. So physical reality is made of all those different levels. Right. Well,
1: that makes sense.
3: And I, I, think I, I like, Mary, the- how you... Go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say no. Go, go finish with your thoughts. because I want to change, kind of switch gears a little bit here. <clears throat>
3: um, that the physicalness, uh, and I guess what I was going to touch on was the fact of the um, you know the stem uh, of a hibiscus mm-hmm. plant, and there's no bud, right. there's no nothing there. But on time lapse film, you'll see a bud form, and then it'll further itself and further itself, and then it open up into a full bloom. So at one point, there's nothing. And then it, it grows and it, and it becomes something as it becomes more. And it slowly becomes more and it slowly becomes more. And that's a gathering, a gathering of stuff. And then all of a sudden you have this bloom and, and, and it totally opens up into a beautiful bloom. And that's kind of like physical reality unfolding itself from within right. to become something within our level. Right. You know, on a physical level.
0: Oh, absolutely. The one
3: thing, that actually, I did want to touch on just quickly before we alter and then shift gears is how you had brought up, you know, the main point that changed my life is the fact that I live my life from the soul aspect and no longer the physical mm-hmm. physical person right. that I've become. Right, and we're so going to talk a little bit about living. how they
1: actually, yeah, live that way. But one of yeah. the most amazing, I think, parts of your book, at least for me was when the beings of three showed you an atom, which basically
3: Mm. said
1: that we are electrical beings. Why was that, you know, so special?
3: Well, the atom is... Science hasn't even really been able to establish the fact that it is... Is it a part of the physical realm or does it belong to a different dimensional point being? And, I mean, they've looked at it long and hard, and (laughs) their heads often when it comes about because it's like, okay, well, the the person that's doing the testing or the experiment itself is the one creating it. Are they really? No, it can't be. Mm -hmm. But are they? Well, maybe. Uh, No, not going to. No, yeah, maybe. Uh, And this is where science is at with it. And being shown the atom and then also shown the fact that each of the components of the atom have their own level below, not below, but within that and then they have levels within that, and so on and so on and so on. So it's kind of like looking down a piping bag. If the outer great big rim that we put whipped cream into the piping bag is the level, it which physical reality is the very bottom part with the other little hole in it is is a part is a point within all of itself. I know okay. that's kind of hard and a little bit deep, but um, right.
0: Yeah, it is. That's
3: how. That's how everything works. That's where our soul actually comes from. Our soul comes from within everything.
1: Right. So what about the role of the electron? How about um,
3: that? Well, the role, it wasn't necessarily electrons. Um, if, if I'm catching you correctly, I think you're, you're talking about the dots that were, that was being connected.
1: Yeah, you, you, you were saying you that were were the electron was the, kind of like the spark to all that is uh, that they create and emit photons.
3: No, no, that was yeah. I brought that up to um, make a point about the fact that there's an awful lot of gurus out there that talk about be the light that you are, but they haven't been able to actually explain it. So uh, Dana and I had put that in there. Uh, I had written it up, and then I wasn't sure I'd put it in brackets before I sent it off to Dana. And and he said, yeah, no, you, you know what? This is really good. I think we need to put this in because there's a Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer was one of the biggest people. Um that really spoke about, you know, you can be the light that you are, but he was not able to explain why. And why, exactly. It, it's the why that we're all looking for, and this is where we, we find the frustration. I think, Janice, you agree with me in the fact that it, the frustration stems because we don't know. Right. And, and And being able to learn how things actually work, from where they come, how they operate, the process in which they actually operate, and you just... It, you don't need a PhD. You just need to learn to be able to emotionalize it at a proper level, physically feel it at a, at a physical reality level, and live from those points. And you just you, you'll be amazed. And and it never ever 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 stops. No, yeah. right. And that's what that's what so many people are are looking for. Do I have my bad days? Most well, certainly. I'm um, you know uh, I'm a soulful being within a physical world and I'm not a control freak trying to control everything. I do my best to try and, and flow with what's happening and to emotionalize ahead of myself, just slightly ahead, you know, in um, my moments to come as they unfold. So I've learned to be able to read the signposts and stuff. Now, getting back to the atom for a second is that the electrons are electricity and electricity has magnetic fields to it so everything comes and boils down to electricity initially magnetics science can't prove mm-hmm. that one's, one's created from the other electricity comes first you know, it's the chicken and the egg problem you know, magnetic fields then there's the electron or the electron actually creating the magnetic field um, but you cannot it's impossible to have one without the other so right. knowing that we are uh, an ethereal-level electrical being housed within, in essence, an electrical starting point of biology that builds up from a certain level to become physical biology and physical reality itself, and everything is made of the exact same stuff, and it doesn't matter what it is. It could be the desk I'm sitting at, uh, the sweater I have on, you know, the skin on my arms. It all starts at the exact same point. And there is a point where soul is identical to the point from which all physical reality starts. Right. So, the a thing that
1: point. I never even thought about was that you said the difference between a live uh, human and a dead human is the flow of electricity.
3: Correct. That is the only difference. And that's right. from a scientific And also,
1: way. thoughts, from emotions, yeah, even our thoughts, all emotions, uh, and our voice also carry uh, really electricity as well, aren't they?
3: Yes. Yes, very much so. Very much so. And this is where we do talk about, um, you know, there's people out there talking about the frequency and stuff, and and it's there again, a lot of talk about frequency, but what exactly is that? Where is it coming from? How does it work, and why does it work? And you no, know, I know there's a lot of people that say raise your, ref- raise your vibrational rate. Okay, well there again, what does that exactly entail? What does that mean? So a lot of people go yes, 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 but they're really not sure, and it's like putting a you know, a six-year-old behind a steering wheel of of a car and saying, okay, go ahead, drive. Right. Um, You know, Janice always tries to explain
1: this to me, and I never understand.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, if you think when he was talking about the the pie, when we talk about, you know, theoretical quantum, you know, physics being, you know, the same almost as metaphysics. um, If you think in terms of what he was talking about, you know putting in for like a, a a pie piping, you know that you would if you think in terms of that being a fractal and a, mm-hmm. a, a and a fractal would be something that has the ability to change, but it is constant, it is constant, it is constant, it is a spiral, and when you talk about the electricity, and that is that electricity and everything that you're looking at is light. And so when people are talking about raising your vibratory, you know, rate because that's how people heal or raising your frequency for the awareness, mm-hmm. you know, basically what they're what they're talking about is if you looked at you know, our physical body being like a duality is that you're allowing more light to come in and by doing that, you are raising up that physical aspect and that physical aspect also plays into all the different aspects, physical, emotional, spiritual, and once you can raise it in the spiritual and manifest it in the physical body, and then that's when your frequency and your vibration and that raises. Just like, you know, that he was talking. Alan was talking about he couldn't come back to Earth with the same, you know, physical electrical right. grid. Yeah, right. And right. so basically, right. that's what it is.
3: Right. And you know what? I, I, and, and to to prove the um, the light thing uh, that electrons. Um you know admit the light I mean some of the one person that has astounded me since my experience that i have i've seen uh was gabriel gabriel uh bernstein and here's a here's a human here's a human being who understands her soul to a, to a certain extent and to which then I do not know but her brilliance her her light, her her, it just astounds me. And, I mean, I'm looking forward to it because I'm going back to see her again in Toronto in uh, mm-hmm. just a couple of weeks. And I really, hopefully, I will get a chance to talk to her this time around because she really, she's one of those people. And I know Wayne Dyer had it, too, as well. And there's times where I've seen Oprah where she's actually, you see her, and she just looks brighter.
0: Yeah. Right. When right. she Absolutely. talks, when she
3: really, there's that connection. There's that, you know, it's like an open yeah. circuit. Uh, or closed circuit, you know, and, and the light goes on, and that person really shines and really glows. And we've all in our lives we've seen somebody w- within our circles or during our our moments of our days and stuff like that, and and have seen somebody that just beams. Right. And that's that that's that light factor that's really giving off, and it does rub off on other people because then that causes other atoms to drop theirs, you know, and to drop Absolutely. their light, beam, or their their light
1: photons. So, so let's, say, let's take all this information. One of the things you see in your book and something I obviously we've talked about for years, you know, on this show and on others, is that we are actually the architect, you know, in our life. So how does how does that relate to let's say, you know, us being electrical beings? And how do we create our life? How do we manifest something within our life?
3: Well, I mean the the common buzzword is manifest. Um, mm-hmm. What I what I do what I've learned to do is that that unfolding I understand now how moments unfold. So what I'm really trying to do is you know is learn to read the signposts along the way. And
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, for an example, my my oldest daughter was talking. She has just recently put out a, a fair amount of money for a, a specific course and different things that have been kind of rough that have happened over the last a couple of months with her, herself within her own life and stuff like that. And she's very, very happy, though it has been rough getting to where she's at. She's extremely happy with where she's at. And she's like, you know, I almost gave up a couple of times. Well, we all do. But then we get to a point and things fall into place the way they do. Sometimes not the way we would think. And then once you drop that expectation and learn to flow with the unfolding of moments coming and read the signpost along the way as it's unfolding. And I think in the book I I really used the the analogy, the example of, of piecing a puzzle together because that's what we do. We piece the puzzle together as our moments unfold, trying to make of it what we wish. Right. So, with a, uh, but I think a general... one of the most important
1: things you just said was attachment. You know, when we have an attachment to a specific outcome, this is the way that it's going to work. I mean, one, we limit the number of ways it could possibly work, and don't we also kind of push it away from us as well?
3: Oh, well, yeah, and this is where the, you know, that thought process is a nasty one because thought process is a dimensional factor we go well no it's an activity Mm -hmm. within the brain well that that electricity going from one neuron to another neuron to another neuron creating synaptic firing actually is dimensionally shifted from physical reality because it's not like actual electricity snapping from like we see in physical Mm -hmm. snapping or jumping arcing and actually, that's uh, what it would be—is arcing from one circuit to another circuit. When we see electricity jumping, that doesn't actually have another brain—not like that. So it's mm-hmm. it's uh, a dimensional factor, and this is—I mean—the brain is. If you, if you looked down the back of the book, you would see the orbs on the back of the book, and that's actually the, the beings of three. And then you and you, we see more and more of these pictures of these orbs coming up, and uh, and these are dimensional beings. That are right there at the very edge of uh, physical reality for momentarily. And I mean, like that shutter speed, if it was any slower, you know, it would miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see how these beings actually, the seat of biology is the brain itself. Now, a lot of people will say, well, the brain. And actually, I've heard one of the most famous. Um, inst- instructors, I guess you. I, I'm gonna say that's not necessarily his total, but I mean, and even he was talking about the brain. You know, the, the brain's this and the brain's that, and and that's only true up to that point of death, where once the soul has left the body, the brain's nothing. So that the soul is actually th- the seat of biology is the brain. The soul inhibits that seat right there and pushes buttons and pulls levers and pushes this and does that through the brain and that's where in the brain the soul actually resides um,
2: the soul resides in the brain
3: yeah that's where yeah. the basic seat is <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: where what's it will sit and all of it's like the brain is the instrument panel for the rest of the physical biology so it actually is pushing buttons and pulling levers and pushing levers and whatnot from directly right there
1: Hmm. Huh, interesting.
3: Yeah. And the chakra systems are actually, if you look at a, a diagram of an um, electrical system in a house, you'll see that you have a main instrument panel, and then you have circuits, the that, that lines that run out from there going to different outlets, which are distributional hubs, and then they run to the switches from those hubs. So the chakra system is basically a hub system. For the soul to participate.
1: It's also, I mean, it's really the electrical circuit too within our
3: body. Oh uh, yeah. Um, as well. Because once there isn't, then you have a, a, a
1: corpse. <laughs> 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 plain and simple. Yeah.
3: Uh, well, you had some. Plain.
1: Yeah, I was going to say you've got. We just have about uh, six minutes left, so I wanted to kind of go through some real quick some messages you had from the beings of three as well. Um, The first one was the purpose of life. Why are we here?
3: Well, I mean, um, we have to understand that what we're actually here to do, and that's to learn. And the only way to learn is to uh, experience. So in the book, it was a a case of uh, experience wholly everything that you possibly can within the limits that you feel you wish to do. hmm um, And that is so that uh, we can learn and then we grow at, uh, at a physical level and we become more humanistic. Uh, we learn to become more humanistic about uh, the way that we live our physical lives. hmm And the idea for that is is this is where the evolution of the soul comes into factor, is each physical life is is but a class, is but a a learning level. And it's all based around what we're doing so that we can actually have the soul evolve. And then we go back and we reabsorb that loving essence that we are of and that we come from and that we return to becoming peaceful once again. Right. And, and one of the biggest things is trying to learn to be that peacefulness here in physical life. And if you do that, then you instantly, you talk to some of the people that are like extremely peaceful and you'll see that they just automatically are attached to that love that we all come from. So,
1: And it's not that they don't really have obstacles to. in their life. They just choose um, to react with a peaceful way, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, and Absolutely. that's and and that comes back to where we what we started talking about at the very beginning was the fact that the physical essence of life society, humanity is at a tipping point, you know it's at a it's at a point where it needs to become you know come back into uh, balance.
1: Right, but sure. well, you, had, uh, the beings have three. Actually, even said that that was one of the messages that the human race really has kind of failed.
3: Yeah, um, and that has to do with the fact that things aren't being kept in check. Um, there's always been that that balancing act has always existed, and things currently are out of balance. I don't know what you're agree with me so much about that Janice but
2: yeah absolutely absolutely things
3: are things are escalating on the teeter-totter side where the teeter-totter is no longer balanced and it's tipped to the one side and which means things from the other side can actually slide down to that side and add more weight to the other side of the scale so to speak so that's that's where the eminence is actually coming from and you see an awful lot of people passing away um more and more and more people that are very well known, and you' probably see a bit more of an escalation of that
1: right- well, the one thing i was really interested in is that we've actually you now you they claim that we actually and I believe this that we actually accepted drudgery as a belief system, and we haven't questioned it and you look at people's lives and that's almost exactly what it has come to, whether you know you make ten dollars an hour or whether you make you know a hundred thousand a year it almost really kind of is. Drudgery.
3: Well, there's that adaptability of the human existence, right? Where we are such an adaptive we've become such an adaptive animal. And it's like, you know, you have your children and they're growing like weeds, but you don't really notice it other than the fact that mom's out buying clothes every other week for their children and grandma <laughs> and grandpa show up once every three months and go, Why well, haven't you grown? Right. and, and uh-huh. right. but we don't we don't have we don't have that. Well, we do. We do. There's just too many people that, that aren't totally aware of, you know, tapping into it. And it's not a case of where you actually have to tap into it. All you have to do is just quiet yourself enough and listen, and you'll hear it. But we don't have right. that grandma and grandpa that shows up and goes, my, my, haven't you grown? Or, my, my, haven't you not grown?
0: <laughs> right. And
3: that's what the human race really needs is somebody or something to come along and say, my, my, you haven't grown up much.
1: Right. Well, they they also said, obviously, it is a time for change. So how do we begin that change?
3: To to understand that we don't need to live life from such a defensive state. We have, in my own lifetime, I have seen such a obscene defensive state come about that we're worried about everybody's out there to get us, everybody's out there to harm us, mm-hmm. everybody's out there to hurt us. And, of course, it's I can't prove, you know, you have one side or two people pointing at one another It's like you drop your gun first. No, you drop your gun first. No, you, you, right. you. And this is the point that we're at now. And what we need to do is to have trust and faith in one another enough to be able to just lay things down. The bad apples will always be there in the bushel. But we don't need to dump the whole bushel of apples because of one bad apple. And that's what we're doing. Right. Yes. Yeah. We well, you are, also
1: said that we need to focus on humanity as a whole. We have to quit dividing people, whether it's by right. race, religion, whatever the heck it is. They have, they have nots.
3: We need I'm to so focus on I'm so glad you humanity. brought that up. I am so glad you brought that up because one of my biggest things that I that I came up with just while I was in the hospital and stuff was that each and every one of us is an individual cell of the human race. and. right. You know, we start fracturing at gender. We start fracturing our cultures. We start fracturing our countries. Mm-hmm. And we, we have these imaginary boundaries that we live by. And those people over there are no good. Well,
0: thank,
3: thank God that, you know, the brain doesn't say to the rest of the body, I can survive on my own, boys and girls. You guys are on your own. <laughs> you know, so here's your heart and here's your lungs and your kidneys and your liver. And right. going, hey, wait a minute. What are you talking about? No, yeah, I, I need you know, my lungs. We need you. We need you. We need you. And we all need each other. The whole human race is one individual body. And as soon as we understand that and as soon as we get that, we're all going to get along fine together. Mm -hmm. Is is everybody going to be really good? No. Is everybody going to be really bad? No. But we Mm -hmm. have to have enough trust and faith to not be so worried about it, to live more openly towards one another. You know, you're standing behind somebody at Starbucks, talk to them, say something, catch their attention, and just say hi. Because that's all it takes to get things moving. When people start talking, cells start talking. Because when cells stop talking, cells die.
0: Yeah,
1: Absolutely. Well, that is the perfect place to end this interview. Last question. Now, where can listeners purchase your book?
3: Um, They can, actually. um, It is on Amazon.com, Amazon.ca. It is in the U.K., um, Barnes & Noble's carries it i found it on websites in Japan I've found it on websites in India
0: <laughs> I believe in
3: Australia as well um, and if you would like a signed copy from me I think that I would probably open the idea people could go and visit EllenRStevenson.com and send me a request there and we'll set something up so that I can uh, I could get a signed copy to
2: Oh, that is well,
1: thank great. you so much. This has been absolutely wonderful. It is a phenomenal book, so I definitely recommend anyone who's interested, obviously, in your death experiences to read it. So thank you so, so much. Have a great night. Oh, thanks, Alan.
3: Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Janice. Okay,
1: hey, Janice, we've got to go into illuminations here in just a second. Do you have uh, kind of a last thought? I know you
2: you oh. always do. <laughs>
0: oh. Well,
2: it, it's just extraordinary, you know, to find out that I think as the near-death experiences are becoming more and more prominent, they're also becoming more and more detailed. There's more and more information that people have the ability to bring back. And I find that that's really, you know, because understanding is kind of that key to awareness, you know, to truly understand who we are and how to make that light shine. You know, we have to have an understanding of how that conscious awareness works. Absolutely. Well, his
1: book is again it's Alan Stevenson, I had to die to learn how to live. So with that, I let's love go into illuminations. Let's...
2: illuminations. It's time for illumination. Food for your mind. Okay, Janice, what do you have for us? Well, I have a quote from Alan's book. Peacefulness resides where you choose to allow
1: it. Ah. I tell you, that is, that is one to live by. Yes. Mine is also from Alan's book, Toss Fear Aside and Be Genuine in All That You Do, and those you meet will know the soul you truly are. I love it. And there you have it. Well, thank you, Janice, again for another fascinating show, and thank you to all of our wonderful listeners for joining us once again. Until next time, be inspired, be empowered, and be well. You've been listening to Heavenly Encounters, A Journey to the Other Side. Good night.